Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in March in the final week of the legislative session. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're checking in on air quality legislation this time on the program. What's being done to help clean up our air? Later in the program, we'll be talking with Representative Patrice Arendt, Democrat from Salt Lake City, and Representative Suzanne Harrison, Democrat from Draper. Uh, right now, we'll bring in Representative Stephen Handy, Republican uh, from Layton. Representative Handy, welcome back to the program. Well, Tom, how are you doing? Good, nice to hear, do, hear doing from well. you this good, morning. Good to hear from you. And we also have on the line uh, Thomas Holtz, a senior energy analyst with the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah. Thanks for uh, well, joining what us. a good guy. Hi, Tom. How are you? Good to, good to, good to have you. Um, yeah. I, I should note that the Gardner Institute has developed a Utah roadmap on climate and air quality. That's, I believe, um, uh, Thomas Holtz, commissioned by the legislature. Yes, that's correct. Uh, the The legislative charge began in uh, 2018 with the passage of House Concurrent Resolution 7, which called for prior, prioritizing our understanding and use of sound science to address the causes of changing climate. And then uh, in the 2019 legislation, funds were appropriated for an air quality and climate research study and that study is what we call the Utah Roadmap. All right. And uh, listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, what can be done? What should be done to improve air quality? How are you dealing with air pollution? Are things getting better or worse where you are? You can respond by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. I already have an email in from Jean in uh, in uh, Logan. Well, she used to be in Logan, used to teach at USU, but... Uh, I think winter's in St. George nowadays. Anyway, we'll read that uh, shortly. Uh, and your email, we hope, as well, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, so, uh, Thomas Holst, um, give us maybe some, some of the bullet points from this Utah roadmap. Yeah, uh, there were a uh, what we call a series of mileposts, and that milepost plays on the theme of a roadmap. And a roadmap is an appropriate metaphor because direction and magnitude are critical elements in reaching a destination. And this orderly sequence of mileposts has the goal of achieving cleaner air and better environmental conditions in Utah. And the first two mileposts, and I'll just touch upon those, um, call for um, yeah, uh, the establishment of uh, reduction goals in uh, criteria air pollutants, that is air quality pollutants and then greenhouse gases. And then milepost two is lead by example. And that calls upon the state legislature to take steps to shift its vehicle fleet from internal combustion engines to cleaner carbon-fueled sources of uh, transportation, and then also building or energy efficiency in buildings that the state owns. All right, we'll, we'll come back and talk about a few of those. So I want to turn to Representative Handy. So you got the roadmap, yeah. and I know, you, you know the Clean Air Caucus up there, a bipartisan effort. Um, and, and I've noticed a lot of bills being run on air quality. Some, of course, will fall by the wayside. Um, are there are there some likely have passed and likely to to pass that you think will have a big effect? 
Well, let me give, a, give you a little perspective. We had a, we had a terrific uh, win last year in 2019. If you remember, Governor Herbert came out with his $100 million um, air quality initiative budget. And so when we got into the session, several of us, including myself, and you, you have Representative Harrison and Aaron, Aaron, on, Aaron on later today, who are also members of, you know, co-chairs of the Clean Air Bipartisan Clean Air Caucus that I am as well. And so we all got together with other experts and we tried to figure out, well, how do we get the most bang for a buck? But we ended up with $29 million that was appropriated. It was the, it was the largest ever. Now the governor came, Governor Herbert came this year in the 2020 session with something like that too. But everything, it was all contingent upon uh, tax reform that, that blew back on our faces and uh, didn't, didn't work. So the budget was, was upside down and lopsided. So I, I just don't think there are, well, I know there are th- those kinds of expenditures that are in this year's budget. Thomas mentioned um, um, the, the, the roadmap, and there's been some lot of things around that. One of the, there's a, there's a, Representative Briscoe had the HCR 11, which sort of is just a resolution that said uh, supports the recommendations. One of the great things, I think, is, uh, is HB um, uh, 2, um, let's see, what is it, 396, that's the electric vehicle charging infrastructure amendments. This, this is in partnership with uh, Rocky Mountain Power. Uh, you know, ratepayers will pay for this, but it's $50 million uh, dedicated towards the, the building out of infrastructure, of EV in- infrastructure, uh, th- uh, throughout the state, particularly the, the heavily tra- traveled uh, freeway corridors. So I think that's a, that's a really big, big thing as we get the infrastructure. Hopefully then more, more folks will be buying uh, EVs. So that's just a little bit of a tidbit. There have been some disappointments that I can talk about in a second if you want me to, to pick up on that. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we could <laughs> talk about get the disappointments out of the way, I suppose. Uh, tell us me about yeah, the disappointment. What, what I didn't talk about one, and that is yeah. I, had a, I had a bill, HB 317, called a non-road engine study. So, for example, uh, the Division of Air Quality, we, they know that they have a good handle on, you know, you hear us all the time, 50% of, you know, from tailpipes. But, but non-road things like big construction vehicles, now we know what's out at Rio Tinto and we know about mining, but there's a whole other, you know, space of vehicles that we don't know about. They're, they're not registered in the same way. So we use, they use EPA modeling to figure out what's there, but I asked for a $50,000 expenditure to do just a, really a study. There's no, there's no, you know, they, you know, everything's preempted by the Clean Air Act with the Division of Air Quality. They can't really regulate. But we wanted to know what's out there. And that, that went down in defeat. Uh, I, I just, I'm really disappointed about that because I think that certain, some legislators, they just don't, they don't want to know. They just don't want to know. Mm. What, what's, uh, so that's a real, that was a real disappointment to me. Mm. Uh, I want to talk about uh, kind of focus uh, for the next few minutes on electric vehicles. I'll start with Thomas Holst on yeah. this. I'm, I've got uh, uh, on the roadmap recommendations in brief. And by the way, you can go to the Gardner Institute website to, to get these. Uh, number five mile post is position Utah as a market-based EV uh, state. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder your perspective. I'll get uh, Representative Handy's on this as well. Um, I like Thomas's, yeah. Where, where are we in terms of transitioning to electric vehicles? I, I think there's some... Some barriers. One would be cost, perhaps. Another would be range anxiety, which I think the the bill is here trying to address. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for mentioning that. I I believe uh, Representative Handy is correct in stating that uh, range anxiety plays a role in people's reluctance to adopt electric vehicles. And as soon as that infrastructure gets built out, I believe the barriers 
will uh, will disappear, and people will recognize that uh, yes, uh, they can rely upon clean, safe, non-polluting forms of transportation to get from point A to point uh, B. Uh, so, Thomas Holtz, before I go to Representative Handy, are, are we, I don't know, in this plan, are we considering hybrids as well uh, here? You know, you see m- m- many more hybrids on the road than straight-up electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we're including electric vehicles. We're including hybrids. We're including uh, compressed natural gas. So, yes, there's uh, there's a spectrum of vehicles that are included in that Milestone 5. Representative Handy, uh, is, are these bills, this plan is meant to move people along, adapt a little faster, adopt a little faster? Yes, exactly right. Uh, you know, I, I think of the all of the registered vehicles in Utah, I think it's about a half a million. Only one and a half percent, Thomas, help me with that. I think it's only one and a half percent, not even two percent, are, 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 are true EVs. And um, so we've got a long, long, long way to go. Uh, to get to uh, to get to really kind of uh, you know an, uh, an impact, but this initiative uh, from Rocky Mountain Power and uh, and supported by the leg- legislature will will help. It will take some years to build that out. Of course, we don't have a state uh, income tax, or we don't have a state not income. We don't have a state tax credit for EVs. The federal federal is out there, but it's it's declining, and um, they are they are somewhat harder to get. But I think I think that. Uh, you know, I've I've been to so many things. I mean, there is an EV in all of our futures. I mean, we're all going to be driving them, at, you know, five to ten years out. It's going to be pretty exciting. But that's we're going to have to just have kind of have the market with a little stimulus to kind of take kind of take over. Do you agree, Thomas? You think that's about right? Uh, yes, I agree, and I see uh, automobile manufacturers besides Tesla, yes. and I'll say I'll name Ford and GM as uh, offering a full range of vehicles that are EVs, and that's encouraging, and that means that there will be more choice uh, in how consumers elect to take uh, the, the electric vehicle that they need that, sits the, that suits their family's uh, needs and goals. So, uh, right. and as, and as, and as there, there are more vehicles out there, we all, we, all three of us understand, and your listeners too, that uh, prices will, will come down. Mm. Uh, but, but of course, there's, there's, there's transition to that. Uh, how do we get to yeah. crit- critical mass? How do, how do we get to that point? Because I, I agree, if the price comes down, a lot easier for many people to adopt uh, right. vehicles. Right. A few years ago, I had run a, a tax credit. It was we had one for a while, and then it, you know it, it failed in 2016, and has never really been able to be brought back. But I remember getting from the Division of Air Quality why I wanted to have you know what impact would 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 EVs have on our on our improvements in air quality, and they, they, they couldn't even model it because you have to have you have to kind of have 50,000 cars before you can before you can even model it. But uh, so we're we're a long way from that. I think there's only about 5,000 or something like that. It's a real small number, but it's got to grow. It's got to really grow. We've got to embrace it. Uh, so, Representative Handy, you said, I, I don't want to let this go without uh, having reinforce it. Yeah. You said something that some people might find a little <laughs> optimistic. Five to ten years, you said, we'll all be in EVs? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I just, I just, I just see a, 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 and that might be pretty optimistic, but I, I see just a huge transition 
to this. And, uh, you know, and, and, and not everyone needs to drive a Tesla, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. But, the, but there's going to be many, many more options uh, 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 coming, and they're gonna, the price points are going to be a lot more, a lot more attractive. Mm-hmm. But we're going to have combustion cars for a long time because cars are, are pretty well built today, and, you know, as we know, and they last a long time. They last a long time. So, yeah. you know. Uh, let me let me read this email from uh, Gene. Uh, it, it gets into yeah. several points and have you gentlemen uh, uh, respond to this. Uh, Gene says, she puts in a plug for the roadmap. The Cam Gardner Policy Institute has a clear prescription for how Utah should address its air pollution problems with its roadmap. She gives a link. Uh, by the way, you can go to gardner.utah.edu slash Utah Roadmap uh, to find this Utah Roadmap for uh, climate and air quality. Uh, Then she goes on to say, Utah legislators have no excuse for not taking action with this clear policy prescription. And then she, uh, I put out the the question in our promotional announcement: What uh, are you know what are you doing, uh, and what's going on where you are? And she says, "What have I done personally? I was fortunate to be able to take phased retirement from USU, where I taught fall semester, but not spring, so I was able to leave Cache Valley during the worst of the air pollution. Unfortunately, this option is not available to the general public. Since I retired, I leave for St. George during winter inversion months." Having spent considerable time attending presentations by air pollution professionals over the past 15 years, including BYU's Dr. Arden Pope, and reading research papers, I know that no level of PM 2.5 is safe. It annoys me that the Utah Department of Air Quality specifies that low levels of PM 2.5 are only harmful to certain vulnerable groups. All levels of PM 2.5 are harmful to everyone, she says. She goes on to say, I'm also very frustrated with the very few air pollution monitors around the state. We need many more monitors, which the state can easily afford. Then uh, she says diesel engines are the worst polluters and need uh, to much more close to be much more closely regulated to reduce their con- contribution to air pollution. We also need an aggressive anti-idling public service campaign. That's Jean Lounge. She's an emeritus professor at USU. Uh, let me start, Representative Handy, with with uh, air pollution monitors. Any any yeah, plans to increase a, those? DAQ, DAQ has about I think there are about forty of them. And uh, we have looked at this in the, in, the, in the Clean Air Caucus, and in the last couple of years we have we've pushed for some additional expenditures. But she's right about that. We do need, need, more, need more monitors. I also agree with her about the PM2.5. It is harmful to all populations, any, any level of it. The other thing that she talked about was or diesel. That was exactly my bill to try to, to, try to, to, try to get a handle on that and get a handle on the inventory. But that went down in flames. And uh, we'll see next year if there's kind of a different mood. They'll, you know, new legislators will be elected. We'll have a new governor. We'll see if there's uh, some more, uh, you know, impetus be- behind that. But uh, but she's right. And the anti-idling. I'm on the board of directors of Utah Clean Cities, and we have a campaign. But we need to really boost that that uh, idle-free campaign up. We really do, and we're looking at going to partner hopefully with the Utah Bankers Association. And and, and as people go into their drive-through it banking you know stop idling and, and give them give them notice about that she's mm-hmm. right about that uh, and of course that is uh, you know government might play a role here but as she says uh, that's a that's maybe a public service campaign get uh, get people to change yep. their habits there yep, she's right. yep. uh so thomas holtz what uh, your uh, your comments on anything that uh, the gene uh, said there maybe starting with the pm 2.5 this idea that that she says the Department of Air Quality is, is sort of putting out that low levels of 2.5 are only harmful to certain vulnerable groups. Um, two comments on that. Uh, on page five of the roadmap, uh, it addresses the health effects of air emissions and pollutants. 
and it uh, it lists studies that have been done that are specific to Utah. And there are three groups that are at particular risk for PM 2.5. That is, there's the the pediatric, the maternal, and the geriatric uh, sectors of the population that are at risk. And the studies that have been done here in Utah are highlighted in yellow. And I think that would be interesting for for your listeners to to follow up on. And then uh, I believe Gene started out by saying, "What will legislators do?" And let me—I'd uh, like to be optimistic in the tone that I give on this. First of all, I'd say, in fairness to the legislature, um, our study was completed only at the end of January. The legislature was already in session, and. Um, Representative Handy knows better than I do that uh, bill files need to be open and that there is an amount of research that needs to be done. The Institute recognized that uh, probably most of the effects of the roadmap and what legislators do will be accomplished in the next session. But having said that, let me be very positive about something, a bill that happened in the last session, which was HB 411, and that's the Community Renewable Energy Act, and that provides mechanisms yeah, that to allow... I, I know that bill. <laughs> uh, you should. I believe you sponsored it, and I, uh, I just wanted to say kudos to both your good self and to Rocky Mountain Power, and it will allow communities to select the type of energy that they wish. And at the end of uh, last year, there were 20 Utah municipalities and counties that had committed to that. Mm. And uh, that's a sizable, that covers a service area of roughly 840,000 people, which is a quarter of the state's population. So I I would like to just uh, say there is good work being done by legislators like Representative Handy, and I tip my hat to those legislators who will pick up and follow these good initiatives. So, Representative Handy, tell us a little bit more about that bill. Yeah, this was a, this was a really, really quite, quite the bill. Uh, we didn't know a whole lot about it, but for three years, uh, Park City, uh, uh, Salt Lake City uh, lead and uh, unincorporated Summit County had been in negotiation with Rocky Mountain Power. They wanted to move to more of a net renewable and uh, they realized to do it on their own. I mean, it was like their 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 residents could never afford it. But the and, and but credit to Rocky Mountain Power, who said, you know, we want to recognize customer choice, and we recognize that the new energy economy is moving very rapidly. We need to we we and they're they're retiring their coal plants in Wyoming, and the the two in Utah are coming down too. They've got a plan for that, and so we're going to work with them to do that. So we needed a bill. To uh, move that forward, and it and it and it requested it, it it required not requested required municipality by the end of December uh, 2019 to pass a resolution that they wanted to opt into this, and so it's called net 100 percent by 2030. That means that that still there would be a base load and anticipated of you know uh, fossil fuel type, but who knows what's going to happen because things are moving so rapidly and the price of renewables is 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 so low. That this can be done probably without that. So now these 23 or 22 or 23 municipalities 
they're now in a they're now in an evaluation process with the the regulated public utility to determine what would those rates be what would those rates be under this new construct under this 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 huge initiative for, for renewables and uh, that'll be determined as the year goes on who will be able to stay in and determine you know yeah this 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 fits our citizen citizenry very well so I'm very excited I when when we started the bill had no idea that it was going to take off like this. I mean, I, I've done interviews all over the country about this. It's been pretty exciting because we really, we really established something, uh, you know, quite a unique and and uh, far-reaching roadmap. So thanks mm-hmm. for letting me talk about that, Tom and Thomas. Uh, so, Representative, I know you need to go here pretty soon. Uh, we've got about maybe five minutes left in this segment. Are you able to stay? That's fine for that. Okay. Um, so I guess to, with those five minutes, I'd uh, like to maybe look to the future um, in terms of the overall picture. Um, I assume these, you know, the Utah roadmap and what's being done at the legislature, uh, perhaps you would say necessary, but maybe not sufficient. Um, you know, there's government, there's individual habits, uh, there's industry. Um, I wonder, maybe starting with Representative Handy and then uh, Thomas Holst, uh, what would you say sure. about that? The, the the big picture here. Sure, I mean habits. I mean this uh, this uh, this uh, it's called UCARE, UCARE. I think it's dot dot org, but everyone they're, they're, they have kind of a, a, a but it's a, it's it, 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 they get funding from the state and they, they they get some grants from other places and they promote uh, ideas and air quality and, and bring it to the awareness of the people. But there are so many things they talk about that it's the individual habits like Gene talked about the individual idling that we've just got to we've got to change our we've really got to change our ways so that's one thing uh, in, in terms of going in terms of going forward um, you're going to have a new new governor a new new legislature I mean some of the same people will be back I'm, I'm running for re-election some of the same people will be back but we need to ha- we need to have that new leadership and take a new look at things and particularly as Thomas indicated the state lead the way we tried to get that and we with with uh, old uh, snowplows and everything like that, and just weren't as successful as we needed to be with that. But I see that coming. And uh, uh, and uh, the other thing in the roadmap that I really liked, and I've talked to Thomas about this, was was uh, uh, I'm going to work next year on this to try to get uh, you know we, it's a kind of a think tank on air quality study, Thomas, and maybe you can talk about that. I think that was that's a really great part of the roadmap. I want to want to pursue that. Yeah, Thomas Holtz, maybe talk about that, and then anything else you'd like to say on the big picture on air quality. Yeah, sure. I would like to. I believe what Representative Handy is referring to is uh, mile milepost three, which is create a premier air quality changing climate solutions laboratory. And let me mention why that is so important. I believe Gene had referenced particulate matter 2.5. And for your listeners, that is uh, very, very fine dust. The reality is that uh, some of that PM 2.5 is created during inversion periods where there is a column of air that is over our valley, and it takes uh, pollutants that come out of the tailpipe like socks, NOx, volatile organic compounds, and there is a reaction there that creates these PM 2.5. I believe uh, Professor Arden Pope of BYU back in the 1990s quantified what impact particulate matter 2.5 has on health, and uh, this, this 
Air Quality Laboratory is an attempt to better understand atmospheric chemistry, and our attempt will be how is it that we can negate the formation of particulate matter 2.5 during inversion periods. Hmm. Uh, so that's uh, that's perhaps in in the future. Uh, so Representative Handy, just to just to close here, um, what do you see coming out of this legislative session? Um, it, maybe the the top, and then what's left for the next session? Do you think? Well, I think uh, again to, to reiterate, uh, maybe listeners have tuned in late that the electric vehicle charging infrastructure amendments, the HB three ninety six, is representing a small incentive reform more. Uh, uh, Representative, you're you're cutting out a little bit. Uh, maybe yeah, reposition the phone. That, to build yeah. that out is that better? Yeah, that's better. Yeah, thank you. To build that to build that out, and then um, uh, I have a I have a bill that uh, I'm going to talk about. Uh, it was uh, it's about extending the rebates on uh, high energy efficient appliances for new construction, and also and also recognizing what are called heat pumps. Uh, that is, that is very innovative, moving moving cold and warmer air, warmer and cooler air back and forth efficiently. That we're going to get that in the code, and that's going to that's going to pass, and that's going to be also terrific. So next year, I'm excited for a lot of things. I think we need some on the roadmap, some additional data points, and Thomas knows that we need some additional data points. And this is kind of a first cut at that, but uh, the, the 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 premier lab is something I, I'm going to pick up on and try to try to make an initiative of my own. But some good things are happening, really good things are happening. Well, we'll leave it there for this segment. We've been talking with Representative Stephen Handy, Republican from Layton. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. And uh, and Thomas Holst, who is with the Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute at University of Utah. They've developed Utah Roadmap on Climate and Air Quality. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you. Uh, coming up, following this break, we'll be talking with Representative Patrice Arendt, a Democrat from Salt Lake City. Later in the program, Representative Suzanne Harrison, Democrat from uh, Draper. Uh, she's a doctor. We'll be talking about some health effects along with the legislation as well. Uh, more coming up following this break. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in March in the final week of the legislative session. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're focusing on air quality legislation at the Utah Legislature. We've been talking with Representative Stephen Handy and Thomas Holes from the Gardner Institute. Uh, up next is uh, Representative Pat- Patrice Arendt from uh, Salt Lake City, and we'll have uh, Representative Suzanne Harrison from uh, Draper as well. Uh, this email came in. Uh, this is from John in St. George. I want to get this in. Uh, you're focusing, he says, on the false promise of an end of the pipes, uh, end of the pipes solutions, EVs, rather than where the affordable, accessible, reliable energy will come from to support EVs. I wonder how many EV drivers understand that uh, reliable uh, energy uh, coming from that uh, plug in their car must come from reliable baseload power sources of coal, natural gas, or nuclear. Renewable energy sources like solar and wind still represent a small portion of the energy generation in Utah. Uh, Just like I'm not going to have major surgery at a hospital run on solar panels and windmills, nor can we we rely on the same energy sources to power EVs. That's John in St. George. Uh, Thanks uh, thanks for that, John. Uh, Appreciate that. Um, Let's see. uh, We have Paul and Logan who's called in. Uh, Paul, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you this morning? Um, Thanks for having your guests on. I'm a big supporter of the Utah Roadmap, but I'd like to 
sort of take a turn on that and call it uh, what, what happened to the Utah rail map. And, and specifically in northern Utah here in Logan and Cache Valley, we have been cut off from rail for several decades now. That's right. We used to have rail in the past, and now we don't. So how do we reconnect, and where's our legislation to get the rail line to Brigham City, to get UTA, to get people over? We have thousands of people going over siding paths every day in internal combustion engines. And uh, I'll take the answer off the air. I wish I would have been able to catch Representative Handy while he was on, but I missed him. Paul, I'll just have to uh, tell you that our next two guests were recorded, so <laughs> I'm sorry about that. But we'll, we'll get that word over to Representative uh, Handy and, and the other representatives. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, you're still welcome to, uh, to comment. We'd love to do that. We'll get those in at the breaks. Um, let's change gears. Uh, let's go to... Uh, uh, Representative uh, Harrison next. This is uh, Suzanne, my conversation with uh, Representative Suzanne Harrison, a Democrat from uh, from Draper. Is there anything you're particularly keeping your eye on? There's several issues that, that have been proposed and also several that have made it all the way through the process. Uh, some of the big things being done this year have to do with electric vehicle charging stations and kind of beefing up Utah's availability of these charging networks. One of the uh, concerns that many folks have in whether to purchase a cleaner electric vehicle or not is whether they can get to where they're needing to go on the you know range of that vehicle. And there's a term for it called range anxiety that people get nervous if they are not you know close to a, a charging option. So this legislation and also there's a, a two pieces of legislation having to do with expanding that network and also funding it will provide people with more robust options for traveling throughout the state with some emphasis on some of the more uh, state parks and kind of recreational options that, that we have here in our state. There are some important bills related to our transit system as well. Senator Harper has a bill that looks at where would it be appropriate and wise to double track the front runner and and enact a plan for the future for front runner to make sure we have a good, you know, spine to build off additional uh, uh, investments in public transit. Senator Jake Andreg has a bill that will uh, create a comprehensive rail plan throughout the state to look at where would it make sense to expand rail and and also prioritize electrification options in our rail system and looking at at not only moving people but also uh, freight and and kind of getting all the stakeholders together at the table to come up with a plan that makes sense with the goal being getting more vehicles off our roads and and where appropriate uh, expanding rail and also how that would interface with busing systems and other transit options. So those are some important uh, aspects to how we adapt to growth and also how we, you know, reduce our air pollution by being smart about investments in transit. Now, notice looking over the range of legislation, at least has been proposed, enterprise zone tax credits, vehicle emissions reduction, as you mentioned, electric vehicles. What is most needed, do you think? I, I think that the charging station is a good step. I also think that there needs to be continued efforts 
to incentivize the purchase of those vehicles as well. One of the bills that addressed that, the tax credit for um, alternative fuel vehicles in the kind of heavier duty trucks uh, did pass and was funded. That's Representative Stoddard's legislation is an important step to kind of get a, get those bigger vehicles, uh, get those incentives in place to swap out the dirtier trucks to be cleaner, either uh, electric, natural gas, or hydrogen, or, or what those allow for. Uh, I had a bill that didn't make it all the way through. It's a uh, tax uh, credit for electric vehicles in the you know smaller vehicle range. Uh, I hope that that will be considered in the future, but as you may have heard, money is tight this year, and so that, that was one of the challenges. Some of the other things that ended up going through are um, Representative Arendt had a pilot program for voluntary home energy performance score. So one of the things that we know right now, our biggest source of air pollution is vehicles, but uh, in future predictions are going to be that homes and other buildings are one of the largest sources of emissions. So having people start to think of what energy efficient options can they, you know, use in either building a home or renovating or doing repairs is an important thing and helping people understand those energy efficient choices and electrification options where appropriate can really reduce emissions from homes. One of the other big things that's been happening uh, that I've been personally involved with is kind of getting people educated about tier three gasoline. You may have heard of that several years back the, uh, with the leadership of Governor Herbert and also with an um, incentive package put together by the legislature. They uh, put in place some incentives to encourage local refineries to produce Tier 3 gasoline here locally. Now, Tier 3 gasoline, all that is is lower sulfur gasoline, which is a, a game changer for air quality. Tier 3 gas can reduce your pollution coming out of any vehicle by significant margins, and it's even larger margins for newer vehicles. So vehicles can, can uh, made in or after 2017, it can reduce your tailpipe pollution by up to 80% for that kind of pollution that causes our inversions. So people choosing to buy Tier 3 gas and, and making that extra step of, you know, driving to a, a gas station that offers Tier 3 gas can be a huge thing that people can do to clean up the air. I've been working on a project to let people know where they can find that cleaner burning gasoline. And if you go to tier3gas.org, there's a list of gas stations throughout the state that are stepping up their game to, to offer to sell that cleaner burning gasoline. And, you know, if you're not already driving an electric vehicle or using transit regularly or walking or biking, if that's not an option for you, doing your part to clean up the air can be as simple as where you choose to fill up your tank. So choose to buy gasoline from those stations listed on tier3gas.org. What are you hearing from your constituents? Is this, uh, this been a better year, worse year in terms of air pollution? So we know just from weather this year, we've not had as many red air days, which is a great thing for for our health and for um, 
our our air quality, but we have to remain vigilant. We know that our geography is such that we are prone to inversions, and and unfortunately, uh, so many of us living here in the projected growth is going to only increase our our likelihood of having you know pollution in 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 our state, and we have to be vigilant about you know making sure that we're doing everything we can to to clean up our air, and that includes policy and incentivizing, you know, purchases and use of electric vehicles, but also there's always individual responsibility. Uh, you know, don't idle your car. Uh, help your neighbors and become educated about the the perils of idling vehicles and the pollution that that causes. Make sure you're carpooling where possible, minimizing trips, um, and certainly if you do need to fill up your tank, tier3gas.org stations to to fill up your gas tank. So from uh, your constituents, your neighborhood, I guess, friends, are are you seeing people making changes? As you mentioned, there's there's government, there's private sector, but there's individuals too. Are, Are people making some changes? Well, I live in a district that has some really involved, amazing uh, young people and their families. There's uh, Altera Elementary is a school in my district in Sandy, and their young student council got together and were frustrated by the amount of car idling that they were seeing outside their school, and they started a letter-writing campaign first to Canyons District and then to Sandy City, and both of those uh, entities became Canyon became the first in the state to be an idle free uh, school district and Sandy this year passed one of the toughest ordinances in in the state in terms of uh, idling education and that is important I think too often in Utah we think that well for one we think our vote doesn't matter and for two we think our voice may not matter but I think it's important to remember that these local entities your city government your county government your state government getting involved and getting informed and speaking up can make a huge difference in in our state on on policy passing and i think kids are some of the the strongest voices we have if they you know get organized and and write letters and show up like a, a group of young people can make all the difference on some of these important policies passing in our in our halls of power and i hope people will stay involved and engaged and as a mom and a medical doctor this this impacts not only my children, but our air quality impacts my patients. Every year I have patients who suffer from breathing problems, and I have patients that have, you know, beat radiation therapy and beat chemotherapy and beat cancer, but they can't beat our air quality. And we need to work together and stay vigilant to make sure that we are, you know, passing good po- good legislation, enacting policy to help make sure we're addressing our air quality and moving the dial on air pollution. Because not only is this important for our individual health, but this is critical for the health of our future economy. Uh, I want to stay on, on health. Um, it's, you know, sometimes we think, and in fact, it, in the media, sometimes we've incorrectly phrased it as, uh, you know, elderly people with lung problems should, should be careful. And they should be, right? Um, but... Uh, I'm expecting this affects everybody. Absolutely. You're right. Some of our more vulnerable populations, folks with, you know, asthma or other breathing problems or some of our elderly um, 
residents that may have health issues are are more susceptible to the immediate day-to-day impacts of air pollution. But let's be clear, there is no safe level of air pollution, and it impacts all of our health. Um, There's some great research even right here in Utah that's been done to show the um, that there's an increase in heart attacks and, you know, folks showing up to ERs on red air days. And there are impacts on our cardiovascular health, even for young, healthy people when they're exposed to, to significant levels of pollution. So this is this is not something that's someone else's problem. We all breathe the air here, and it's critical that we work together to come up with evidence-based, common-sense solutions and policies to help, you know, especially with the growth that is predicted here in our state. We have to continue to work hard on this, even if we have, you know, some have been blessed with some, some good weather patterns this year that we haven't had horrible inversions. Uh, we must remain vigilant and continue to work hard on this and not, you know, lose focus on the importance of air pollution and and continuing on the trajectory of of tackling it. One more question on health. Um, On a bad air day, and and gratefully we haven't had as many of those, at least this year, who knows, next year might be worse. What, What best to do to protect our health? Yeah. Well, I think one of the most important things is to help make sure that people are educated about the harmful effects of it. It always, like, hurts my doctor heart when I see people out, you know, running outside, outdoors on, you know, red air days. That that impact on your cardiovascular health is, is really harmful. Um, so making sure that we are being more cognizant of, you know, sending our kids out to exercise vigorously outdoors on, on red air days and, and also um, helping, you know, other folks in our community be educated about those, those risks. And I think too often we wait till it's a red air day to start taking, you know, drastic, uh, making drastic changes. We need to be making changes when far well before the air is, you know, at red levels. We should be, you know, carpooling. And this year we have some new uh, pilot programs in place to allow for free transit fare days on, you know, orange days so that we don't get to those red air days. These kind of preventative, proactive measures are important to, to make sure we don't get to that, you know, red level. Uh, finally, you mentioned earlier the economy, health and the economy. Uh, maybe you could expand on that, uh, the air quality and its effects on, on the economy. Well, I think as one of the co-chairs of the Clean Air Caucus, bipartisan group of lawmakers, we are all concerned about the impacts of, of air quality on our future economy. We all know folks that have either, you know, left Utah or decided not to come to Utah or businesses that have left Utah or decided not to to relocate to Utah because of air quality. And I think this is something that if we aren't aggressive in addressing and tackling and finding real solutions for can threaten the health of our, our future economy. And as someone that wants, you know, great job options for all of our kids and future grandkids, this 
this is important for the kind of Utah that I want to see for our for future generations. Well, anything else you'd like to say on the air quality legislation or, or air quality in general? Well, I hope to continue to work on this with my colleagues. I know that there is bipartisan support for these measures. We just need uh, some more of us that put this at the top of the list of priorities to, to move more of this important legislation forward. We've been speaking with uh, Representative uh, Suzanne Harrison, a Democrat from Draper. Um, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Tom. You're listening to Access Utah. We're focusing on air quality and specifically legislation. And uh, we conclude the program with Representative Patrice Arendt, Democrat uh, from uh, Salt Lake City. So uh, what's legislation top of uh, mind for you? You really, I really can't answer that question because you, it's like seeing which one of your children do you love the most. <laughs> right. Um, there are a lot of really good bills out there. You know, obviously I'm working on a particular bill of my own, but there are bills that are very important on a variety of topics, many of them dealing with mobile sources, you know, vehicles on our roads and trying to make them less polluting. For example, we are very likely to fund an electric vehicle charging uh, network, and that's important because one of the main reasons people do not purchase electric vehicles is range anxiety. They're worried they're just not going to have a place to charge. And so we're going to put significant money and have over the past few years. This is not the first year we've done that, but we're going to put more money into electric vehicle charging. Uh, I want to talk a bit about, uh, just very briefly here, uh, I'll read this quote uh, that you gave to the Salt Lake Tribune. You say, we hear from emergency room doctors about pulmonary disease, people who are struggling with cardiovascular disease, now the ERs fill up when we have an inversion. I also hear from businesses that uh, it's affecting their bottom line because they're having a harder time recruiting people. Uh, th- this yeah. uh, seems to be a problem. You are absolutely right. From the very beginning when we started looking at this issue, we had you know, companies come in, economic development of Utah coming in and saying, we have a hard time recruiting, particularly during inversions, but when they read about it, it hurts them. And it, and it affects businesses throughout the state. And let me give you a specific example. There was an article once, big article in the New York Times about inversions in Utah. And a lodge in Boulder, Utah, in some Garfield County, some of the cleanest air in the entire nation, got calls canceling reservations, saying we hear it's not safe to breathe in Utah. So it does affect our economy. Um, it affects when it, recruiting, as you've mentioned. It, it is the number one reason people leave the state of Utah, according to the study done by Envision Utah. The uh, number one reason people leave. Yeah, that's right. A, that's, if, yeah. They say, why do, why do you leave? Is it the education system? Is it lack of social diver- diversity? What, what are the issues? And air quality is number one by huge amount. Do you think uh, we're making progress? It seems like uh, some bills pass every year on this. We're definitely making progress. If you look at our air, it's, it's cleaner than it was before. But I think people are more aware of the problems caused by poor air quality, and not just the inversions. Also, you have issues of ozone uh, in the summer and fall. So I think the public's more aware of it. They're not satisfied that it's cleaned up enough. I'm not satisfied that we've cleaned it enough. We need to do a lot more work. What are the main obstacles? A lot of these bills are expensive. It's not easy. We have made some significant progress this year, and we put money into this, into getting Tier 3 fuels. and Those are the cleaner-burning fuels that 
um, the refine some of our refineries are now making. And those tier three fuels, when put into a car that's 2017 and newer, it reduces 80 percent of the pollution. And even in the older cars, it's 12 to 17 percent. That's really significant. Mm. Um, more and more cities have passed anti-idling ordinances. We are doing our best to get some of those older cars off the roads. We're we're looking at getting good research. We don't want to just fund any old project, so we want to fund research to get good solutions to our problems. Um, are there any other bills this session that you especially hope will pass? I, uh, all of them, I'm sure, but... <laughs> uh, oh, I'd like to see all of them the, pass, but yes. one of the ones I'm working on right now, uh, vehicles are our number one polluters, but within about four years, that will be surpassed by buildings. And we need to look at ways to reduce pollution coming from buildings. Uh, one of the bills I'm working on is a voluntary pilot project for home energy information. And this would provide someone who's going out to look at a home information on the energy costs. And it's not like just getting the electric bill, which doesn't give you what you need to know. It's, it's only part of the picture. Um, so they can compare, you know, apples and apples, new, built, new homes, older homes, you know, whatever they're looking at. But also find out about the air pollution caused by their home and also find out what they can do to solve some of the problems and the cost of doing that. I'm working on that. Uh, and we've got things just to make people more aware of the issue. Um, Representative Handy is running a clean air license plate. We used to have one, and apparently it stopped, they stopped issuing it. And so we're hoping to get that back. Um, we're looking at battery storage. That's really important because once we have better battery storage, and it's beginning to happen even in developments in Utah, then when the sun's not out, we can still store our, our energy. And that is an, a really good thing to be doing and a significant uh, leap forward for the future. Mm. Um, we're looking at a statewide comprehensive rail plan, getting more people on mass transit. That's just one of the ways. Um, there are so many really good studies and, and projects that have been proposed. Um, tax credit for alternative fuel vehicles, try, which will try and fund some of the lower cost cars. We're not talking about uh, financing someone's Tesla, but that will also help get some of the electric vehicles into the state of Utah. So a lot of these work well together. Mm. Uh, by the way, uh, sir, at the end, uh, you understand you're retiring at the end of this year uh, from the legislature. Is is this uh, clean air, helping found the Clean Air Caucus, working on these issues that at or near the top of your legacy, do you think? There, I've been able to work on so many important issues. This is definitely one that's been really great to be able to work on and to bring together a bipartisan group. But, you know, we just had our presidential primary, and I was the person that passed the bill creating that presidential primary after the problems we had, you know, in 2016 with the, the caucuses run by our uh, different uh, Republican and Democratic parties and the problems that were caused there. So, you know, I worked on that. I am the sponsor of our Newborn State Haven, which is our baby drop-off law, which is being updated and funded this year again. There's, I've worked on identity theft. I've worked on so many different things. I've passed over 80 bills, but air quality is certainly top of the list. Well, Representative Patrice Arendt, uh, she's working on air quality, among many other issues here at the uh, this session of the legislature. Uh, thanks so much. You are welcome. Take care. Okay, thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Access Utah uh, today. We've been talking about air quality, especially at the Utah legislature. Our thanks to Representative Arendt, Democrat from Salt Lake City, Representative Stephen Handy, Republican from Layton, Representative Suzanne Harrison, Democrat from Draper. We also talked with Thomas Holst, Senior Energy Analyst at the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute at University of Utah. They've developed the Utah Roadmap on Climate and Air Quality. And my thanks to our listeners who have emailed or called and uh, greatly added to the quality of uh, this program with their questions or comments. Thank you so much, and thanks for listening today. This Access Utah episode was first broadcast in March in the final week of the legislative session. To view the status of any of the bills discussed, you can visit le.utah.gov. Thanks for listening.